Randall's giving me the finger here, Mitch. Not the middle finger. He's telling me, start the damn podcast, Ronan. We are back with another Behind the Yellow Line. We've got a full crew tonight. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. Uh, lots going on in the world of the Cubs, so let's just get right into it. We are about halfway through spring training at this point, just a couple weeks away now from opening day, and a lot going on here. We got a roster move for the Cubs today, though. A couple of big names sent down to the farm here. Pete Crow Armstrong, who's had a wonderful spring, he gets sent down to minor league camp. A couple of the other names, Brendan Davis, Alexander Canario. So none of this surprising, but I'm a little bit disappointed that we won't see as much Pete Crow Armstrong the rest of the way here. Sure. And, you know, it, it, it's really fun having these players in big league camp. Like you said, I don't think anybody's surprised. But uh, being sent to minor league camp, it doesn't mean that you can't get into big league games. And, you know, it, it just does mean that you're obviously not going to start the season uh, in the majors, which we all knew for these players. And it means, you know, they're going to want to start breaking you down into the minor league groups. Who's going to start at low A, high A, double A, triple A. So we all saw this coming. And I still think they're going to get PCA into plenty of games. I think when there's an opportunity to get him into a game at Sloan, I think they will take it because they have gotten him a lot of playing time in the early going of spring training here. So they, there's clearly a well-deserved high regard for what he brings to the field. And the Cubs clearly wanted to get as close of a look at him as possible. Uh, and why wouldn't you? I, I think he's displayed everything we expected from him in the early going here. So we're still going to see him throughout spring training. And I look forward to that. Talking about Pete Armstrong or Armstrong as a Mr. Uh, Pat Hughes will call him. But, uh, you know, you can't talk about him without talking about that incredible play he made the other day in the center field, yeah. running like pretty much clear across the field and making a diving catch. I was watching that live and I was just like, holy shit, that was that was a hell of a play by Pete Armstrong. And, you know, he struggled a little bit with the bat so far in spring training. He hasn't been quite we've seen it. But when you see that defense, it's like that'll play like even if he gives you you know slightly major league below average bat or whatever we'll couple with that defense he's got a spot as an everyday center fielder no matter what so yeah i've been very impressed this season and him running the bases too like i've been very impressed so far in spring training by Pico Archer, even though he struggled a little bit with the bat it's all been on display the, the foot speed the defense he got jim deshays to say two things first of all oh my and you know deshays hasn't quite gushed over a defensive play like that since I think Bryant and since I think Javi were kind of coming up and breaking out. And he also got Jim Deshays to say what Jeremy said, which is that he could play center field in the major leagues right now, which is something we all knew. The glove is probably going to be his defining trait a little more so than the bat, but it, it just makes you dream because if he can hit at all in the major leagues, you're going to have an incredibly valuable player on your hands, and you're going to have him on your hands for many years to come. Strikeouts are a problem. That's something he's got to get figured out. The lack of walks, also something you hope that he can remedy. There is a little bit of pop there. So if you're talking about an elite defensive center fielder who maybe gives you 12 to 15 home runs a year, and he can do something with regards to the on-base percentage, you're talking a five-war player in the major leagues at that point. Like the possibility of being a very, very good player in the major leagues. He, he definitely passed the eye test, and it was fun watching him out there. You know, he was only with the team for a couple of weeks here, team leader in stolen bases in spring training. So we're not going to go too overboard with stats right now, but what I'm trying to get at is that in the short time he was with the Cubs in big league camp, he certainly got the attention of the team and the fan base, and it was fun to watch him out there. 
Sure. The stats don't count in spring training, but the skills absolutely do. You, you know, you, you're right. We're not going to go too overboard on the stats, but it's perfectly okay to gush over what our eyes tell us and what our eyes tell us, whether the games count or not, is that this is an incredibly gifted athlete out there, an incredibly gifted defensive player. And it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch him continue to improve working towards that major league debut. Yeah. I mean, he's only, he hasn't really played above, you know, a ball that much. This is his second full pro season. Yeah. And he's only 21 years old. So, like, it's not like, and his first full pro season. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Cause the first year he only played like six games. Right. This is his third pro the, season. His first pro season, of course, he separated right. his shoulder diving back in. Exactly. So, it's his second full pro season. Right. So, you know, he hasn't really had that much uh, experience at all, at all, really. And, uh, yeah, you know, he's playing against some talent in, uh, in, in major league camp this year, major league games and spring training, not the, you know, the most talent he's, he's coming more at the end of games, seeing probably more guys in the, from the minors, but yeah, I mean, he, I, I, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. As you said, the physical tools are there. Um, the other guy I've been actually impressed uh, a little bit by is, uh, is Kevin Alcadra. I mean, he's actually hit the ball a little bit in these games and I've been like this guy and he's flying around the bases. He's, he's been a joy to watch. I, you know, they sent him down today. Uh, as well, a part of minor league can, uh, cuts, but uh, I was like, okay, this is a big dude. You know, he's six foot six, and I I enjoyed watching him. And he he has he's played in these spring training games. You know, as you say, small sample, spring training doesn't mean as much. But he's still, you know, another guy who hasn't really played above a ball, and he's got an eight hundred OPS throughout this. He's twenty years old, so like I've been pretty impressed by him watching him. And talking about, you know, major league tools, he has a major league ready nickname, and that is the Jaguar. That is a nickname mm-hmm. that will play. Uh, PCA's got the defense, and uh, Kevin Alcantara has the nickname. Ronan, we, we know how much you love watching these spring training games yeah. on your, your MLB.tv feed. Who stood out to you in these in these in this last week here since we last convened? You know, it was just the first real chance that I've gotten over multiple hours to watch Pete Crow Armstrong. I've been hearing about him. I see the clips online. So that was the guy that really jumped out. There have been other performances, like even at the big league level, Trey Mancini's hitting the ball right now. And that's awesome to see because first base is a huge question mark for the team right now. And to see him knock the ball out of the ballpark is like, okay, couple weeks ago Jeremy's saying look he got screwed last year at Camden Yards there's more power there than what the numbers reflect and we're starting to see that a little bit in spring training so I'm excited about that I at this point I've enjoyed probably more of the World Baseball Classic in the last week just because the visuals there are out of control but it was fun finally seeing Pete Crow Armstrong in the big league uniform minus that awful hat playing in spring training games and flashing the leather. It, it's just, it's really got me excited about where that's going to be for him over the next couple of years. And I want to throw another name out there, a name that is half my name yes. and a name we've discussed on the pod before. Cam Sanders, of course, uh, is out there in big league camp and he's been getting uh, some late innings, which that's not quite as important in the spring because you're facing a whole lot of minor league guys, but it's a, it's a mentality thing. You want to get him that work in those late innings. And for the most part, he is not disappointed. He's flashing the upper 90s heat that we've heard about him out of the bullpen at AAA. He throws this wicked breaking ball that's just getting crazy swings. He finished off the game that was played a week ago tonight that I had the ability to sit and watch most of. And he finished off that game and it was as advertised. And I think that's another really exciting arm we could see in the major leagues sooner versus later. He's pitching exclusively out of the bullpen now. He did make it as high as AAA Iowa last year. That's, again, another arm that's on the verge of the major leagues. And that's another high-octane, 
uh, potential late inning arm that we have to look forward to. And the Cubs are very slowly putting together a very nice collection of those. The ones they had last year didn't quite pan out, but that's okay. It's a sample size thing. You get enough of those guys and eventually a couple of them are going to pan out and they're going to make your team that much better. I mean, the Cubs, the Cubs have had a, it, it doesn't mean anything, obviously, but the Cubs have had a nine game win streak in yeah. spring training, which is pretty impressive. And pretty fun to be honest with you when you're watching games. Like I like to see the Cubs win, even if I'm watching meaningless baseball games, it's nice to see beats the Cubs losing. win. Yeah, it beats losing. But the one thing about it is I, for the most part, for a significant part of it, the Cubs pitching has been pretty good in spring training. There've been a couple hiccups here and there of some guys, but you're looking at the arms you're trying to like fit out and fit in this bullpen, like a guy who I, I don't know if he's going to make the team and he's not a young guy at all, but, but you know, another arm that's kind of put himself on the radar for me is a guy like Tyler Duffy who's pitching pretty well. And I'm like, well, maybe that's an interesting guy just to have uh, a major league veteran who has spent a long time in the majors, had some ups and downs, some years it was pretty successful, some years not so successful. But, you know, coming in on a minor league contract, throwing pretty well in the spring, uh, you know, that's another arm in Iowa. Maybe if he doesn't make the team right away, that, like, could be interesting. That's not just some of these other guys we've seen. And but, you know, like Julian Merriweather, like there's a bunch of whole bunch of guys out there that have been throwing really well out of this bullpen. And it's kind of makes it hard. It's like, who's going to be the guy making this team? Because we've seen some really good pitching because the Cubs haven't really blown any leads. And they come back a lot in the late innings because their bullpen hasn't really given up any runs in these spring training games. And don't forget, we haven't seen much of Rowanis Elias because he's been, you know, he's pitching for Team Cuba in the World Baseball Classic. And that's something we'll get to in a little bit, I'm sure. But that's another arm because there is room for another lefty out there in the Cubs bullpen. That's another arm that could potentially work his way in. And of course, uh, the easiest position to kind of work your way into the conversation is relief pitcher, is middle relief in spring training, because that's where I think you're most apt to try and pull this diamond out of the rough with a non-roster guy. So yeah, there's a lot of really interesting names out there making for reasonably interesting discussion. As interesting as you think, you know, non-roster relievers can be as a discussion topic. There's a lot of guys putting themselves in that conversation. A lot of depth in the bullpen and starting rotation for that matter as well. There's been some fun names there. A little bit later in the show, we are going to look at the fan graph projections for the starting rotation. And as we've done the last couple of weeks, give our over or under. If we think that player is going to overperform or underperform the fan graph projection for the year. Um, what about the other side of the coin? Is there anybody this spring that you thought would be in the mix to make the big league team that hasn't looked right? That maybe you've gone, woof. This isn't looking so good right now. Is there any player on that side of it that's caught your attention in the last two weeks? Well, for me, I, you know, I, I was kind of focused on those bench bats a little bit. And I want I, I just want to say, like, I was hoping from a little bit more from a guy like Zach McKinstry, who we got, we got a trade from him last year. He struggled towards the end of last season. He's coming and he hasn't really hit well at all. He doesn't really have any options. I just see you go out and you see what David Bodie's doing, who's crushing the ball. And you're like, if I'm between those two guys and I don't really have a connection, I know we traded for him. So you want to, you don't want to waste that trade. But like, if I'm seeing those two guys, I'm like, I'm still with David Bodie. Zach McKittry has not really done anything so far this spring training. That's really impressed me. And if we're trying to find who's going to be on that bench, who's going to be a vital piece there could play a bunch of different positions on the infield a little bit. Like I'm not seeing it right now with Zach McKinstry. Randall, anybody that's been kind of not looking right to you here the first couple weeks of the spring, you know, nobody who I necessarily had high expectations for. I think everybody I was hoping to perform to a certain degree has more or less done that. 
you know, it's it's more been guys like Hosmer and some other reclamations who I think just continue to look, uh, continue to look like you like you would expect them to look. And you know, Mervis of course is playing in the classic right now. Uh, man, you said Mancini's been hitting. What do you do if you get to the end of the spring and Mervis has been hitting and Hosmer has just provided so little? Uh, do you do you yes. potentially? Yeah, I know. You know, hundred percent. I know that you know that you know that I know. But you know, it's just the sort of decision that's going to start to come up. It is March tenth. Opening day is in less than two weeks. Yes, weeks. opening day is in yep. less than two weeks. Uh, you know, the decisions are going to have to be made eventually. And as guys continue to potentially just not really provide anything, the decisions are going to get harder and harder and maybe more and more impactful. I, I don't think well, Hosmer's going anywhere. I mean, he's batting 333 in spring training. So, like, so he, I don't he think did have, gonna, Yeah. He did have two hits today against the White Sox. So the bat has been, been sort of pretty well yeah. for like the last week. But I'm, I'll jump on the, the train here of not liking Eric Hosmer. He also. A couple weeks ago on the show, I said, folks, when you see his defense at first base, you're going to be appalled. And Jeremy afterwards, like, I don't think it was during the show. I think it was after when we were talking, was like, wow, you're really harsh there on Hosmer. It's not going to be like historically bad defense at first mm-hmm. base. Well, he kind of showcased that earlier in the week. The game against Seattle was Nesky made a really nice play on the front half of a play on a hard ball that was bounced back to him. The throw to first wasn't so good, but man, Hosmer completely botched the pick over at first. The ball rolls down the line. So I, I'm not impressed overall I mean, with what that I've was seen. that was a tough play i was watching it live and yes, nobody but... nobody watching it live put it on hosmer everybody put on wesneski the announcers everybody and then all the like the padres fans online went crazy about it with hosmer like i nobody was even thinking about hosmer on that play well i was and i think it he's not going to help anybody on the infield right yes it was a tough play for the first baseman but he's not going to do any miracle work over there at all and it kind of offsets to some degree the fact that you've put all this emphasis and capital into middle infield defense and then you've got a brick over at first base on the defensive side of things so i wanted to just jump in there randall that i agree with you but to your other point here about what do you do if mervis has a nice spring and hosmer doesn't i think it's very easy you move on from hosmer there's no reason why the Cubs should be playing service time games with Mervis. Like he would be the easiest player in the world right now to extend if they think they want to do that with him, or you just let it roll and you see, okay, is he a good player? And, and maybe he has a good year or two. And then even at that point, it's going to be easy to extend him. He's already mid twenties. He got screwed because of COVID and that he didn't get a, a big payout coming out of college. So you've got an opportunity here to lock him up if you want to do that. So if he takes the job, I don't think Hosmer's in the way. I don't think – I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think Hosmer's in the way if Mervis goes crazy. I, I don't think there's anything that's happened so far to suggest that Hosmer's not going to make the team right. out of spring training. And Matt Mervis – I mean, Matt Mervis, you know, so he could still make the team even with Hosmer. But I just think that, like – and I will point out that Hosmer, like, when you look at baseball savant and everything on his defense, he graded out better last year than, like, Anthony. Like, he was he was – Low average, but he graded out better than Anthony Rizzo. Graded out better than a lot of first basemen that are like. So he's not going to be like historically bad or awful. But I mean, Frank Swaddell was awful at first base with scoops. But like, there's nothing to me that I see that Hosmer. He's just he is what he is. He's been kind of what he is. Uh, he's a major league average bat, which what they you do want in your lineup. And so I I just see him still making the team. I, I don't see them right now having anything that's done anything that Eric Hosmer is like the guy who's going to go out. Cause he, he's kind of just been Eric Hosmer so far in his yeah. training. 
And so yeah, I, that's what they signed. I expect him to certainly make the big league roster here coming out opening day. I just hope he's not around for long because I do think that means that Mervis is ready to take a step and the Cubs feel that there are other options there. You got something to say, to say Jeremy, and then I, I got a question for you. Oh, go for it. But uh, I do want to say one thing. Today when I was watching the game, they put up a graphic after he got a hit about how the fact that Eric Hosmer has the fourth most hits in Team USA history in the World Baseball Classic. I started thinking about that because <laughs> oh. I think he's been – no, yeah, he was only on the 2017 team. I'm not sure he was on the 2013 team. And I was like, whoa, that's you know, America's first base. But then I started thinking about the fact that he didn't make the team this year. It's when we went to Paul Goldschmidt. It was pretty funny, though. But when you got how about some, that? Yeah, well, yeah. you were talking about scoops. How are your scoops? Uh, my scoops are all right. Uh, you know, not at first base. My scoops are terrible. I can't scoop the ball for, for crap. But uh, the rest, you know, all, all the other type of scoops I do, pretty legit. Well, we've got lots more Cubs baseball to talk, but I do want to shift over to the World Baseball Classic here. I've really been enjoying it. I've been watching a lot of it. In fact, was it Tuesday night was the first game? Um, Nine o'clock start here, Denver time. And I said, hey, I'm going to head out and hit the local brew pub here next to Coors Field and go take in a little bit of Cuba baseball from the middle of the night. Um, Really neat to see it. I think one thing that has stood out to me, just about atmosphere and energy, the crowds in both Taiwan and Japan, when those teams have been playing, have been absolutely incredible. And I saw a stat, uh, my brother actually texted it over to me, 46% 46% of households in Japan were watching the World Baseball Classic game against China. That's absolutely incredible. You're talking like 60 million people in Japan watching this game. That's awesome. It's great for baseball to see this. Yeah, you know, aside from these these late start times, which are killing me, I, I'm not as young as I used to be. I don't know if that I'm I don't know that I'm designed to swim in pool A and pool B. Aside from these late start times, it, it's great. It's it's entertaining baseball. You get teams like the Netherlands upsetting ostensible powerhouses like Team Cuba. You get the Vuvuzelas, which I mistook as a car horn because it's just that loud. It's just that distinct. But yeah, you get these great, you get this great atmosphere. You get these ballplayers and Team Netherlands. You know, I, I shouldn't necessarily treat them as an underdog. That's a major league infielder. That's four major leaguers on the infield. It's just entertaining baseball. And the, the only thing I wish is that they were a little bit earlier, but uh, we're recording this Friday night, the 10th, tomorrow night, Saturday night, the 11th. We got a primetime Team USA game against our 200-year-old rivals, Great Britain. So resuming that rivalry. Uh, and that's going to be entertaining. That's going to be a fun game to watch, uh, even if there are too many Cardinals on Team USA, uh, making it kind of hard to root for. It, it's fun. It, it's fun baseball to watch. It's fun watching players represent their countries. It's fun occasionally seeing a guy like, hey, I remember him and his like two games that he played in the major leagues three years ago. It's just entertaining. And I, I wish only that I had the ability to stay awake a little bit longer and watch some of these games in their entirety. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, when you're talking about Japan there, Ronan, uh, obviously, you know, in Japan, like, that's their big deal, Samurai Japan. Like, everybody wants to play for, you know, Team Japan. It's it's a huge honor for them to make it. Like, their national team is like, you don't grow up, you know, wanting to play for, like, the local, you know, whatever, the Yomiuri Giants, but you want to grow up and play for Samurai Japan. That's the most important thing. So, yeah, it's pretty impressive how those games have been, especially over there. And hopefully, you know, they got a sellout for all the U.S. games so far. Hopefully we can bring some of that atmosphere here. And and we saw it a little bit in 2017. It was pretty exciting in some of those games. But, uh, yeah, I, I've been watching, and uh, I, I – 
it's been really fun. I can't believe the Cupid team has been so bad watching, like, yeah, play normal baseball. They can't do it. Now, they broke out last night against in like the seventh later innings uh, against some kind of minor league pitching, but whatever. They got they got some hits. You, you finally saw them break out, but oh my God, watching the first six, seven innings of that, that was like watching uh, like Little League baseball. They were so bad. And I just couldn't believe out of all the fundamentals how bad they were. Jeremy, you mentioned sellouts, and I don't know if you said they are sellouts or you hope they are sellouts. I know Sunday's U.S. game against Mexico, that's a sold-out game in Phoenix. Saturday against Great Britain, did that also sell out? Because last I had read, the upper deck was looking kind of sparse for that. I I was thinking about the Mexico game. I'm not sure about Great Britain, but still. like Right, right. No, I was just curious because what I was thinking was, well, I'm a little bit disappointed that the pool that the Americans are in is in Phoenix. Right, I think it'd be better in San Diego. We've seen it in San Diego in the past. Unbelievable environment and beautiful ballpark. I hate that freaking stadium, that airport hangar that they have in Phoenix, but it's so rare given how mediocre that that franchise has been the last decade that you see that place packed <laughs> and loud. Sunday night when the U.S. plays Mexico, that place is going to be absolutely rocking. It's going to be awesome to see that. And, and the one thing, though, right now is you do have all the different baseball fans that are in Arizona for spring training. So it's not just the normal, you know, baseball fans that are, you know, normal Diamondbacks fans or whatever you do. You know, there's probably tons of Cubs fans down there, tons of Dodgers fans that are in Arizona. So maybe you'll get a lot of those kind of fans that are, that'll head over to see those, that USA game. Cause there's so many fans right now that are in Arizona for spring training. So hopefully they can build off of that. And coming up the team USA schedule. Again, we record this the night of the 10th, the 11th, 12th and 13th. Uh, 8 p.m. Central on Fox, you get Great Britain, USA. Again, resuming that uh, Revolutionary War rivalry. Uh, Mexico, USA on FS1, 9 p.m. Central, uh, Sunday night, the 12th. And hold then on, you hold get, on, hold uh, on. What about that war? We had a war with them, too. We did. Well, you know, you know that's, the, that's the one we don't quite learn as much about uh, in uh uh, but uh, I don't know. Do we ever I mean, fight a war against Canada? Because if we haven't, we're about to. We're constantly Canada? fighting Canada. Fighting the war. Yeah, that's right. We try Canada, to US, Canada, USA, like, 9 p.m., Monday night, the 13th, uh, also on FS1. And again, this is these are fun. These are fun games to watch. 9 p.m., a little easier than 10 p.m., but these are going to be fun games to watch. And that Team Canada squad, uh, the Cubs did play that exhibition game against them. There are some interesting names on there. You get to see Owen Casey. He's fighting for at-bats. Uh, and uh, a spot in right field for Team Canada. So it's not like there's nothing to watch there as well. Again, this is just enter. This is going to be entertaining baseball. And I, I look really forward to watching um, a team in which I have a little more investment, uh, you know, in a in an MLB stadium. This is going to be a lot of fun. And I, I think that's what everyone's looking forward to uh, as we've skipped the World Baseball Classic for uh, the two years, the last two years that it was meant to go. What, of course, would have gone in, uh, 2021 uh, with the every four years, but uh, a couple of reasons why that did not happen. Um, so yeah, we've been waiting for this for a little while. It's going to be fun and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I just want to point out that, you know, that Mexican American war was pretty important. We got parts of uh, the Colorado, the home state yeah. there and that out there for Ronan. So like, we got to have that, that gone, but uh, also launched uh, kind of Abe Lincoln's political career. But uh, uh, what I was going to say is uh have you, have you, Ronan, you, you, you've been talking about watching some of these games, but like, have you watched? I've been so focused on Cuba because yeah. they are historically the, the giant in, in, in 
international baseball. Now, some of that is because, you know, American major leaguers haven't played in these events because they have a season and stuff. So, and Cuba historically has always had their top end talent always there. And they've struggled a little bit in recent years. But this year, they finally, for the first time ever, allowed major league players, expats, yeah. guys from to play for them. And so I've been watching them. It's been like, you know, this is Cuba. This is the best team historically. And it's just been like so bad baseball. Yeah. And I like, have you been watching this? Like, cause I can't, I can't, it was like triggering me to see how bad fundamentally they are at baseball. <laughs> yeah. To see guys getting thrown out for no reason, backpicked, missed tags. I'm like, oh my, this is Cuba. And like, you know, Cuba or as uh, Australian former MLB pitcher, Ryan Roland Smith calls him Cuber, which is funny to me every time I hear it. I just needed to get that in there, Ronan. I know you have a point yeah. coming up. Well, I have been watching them uh, for two reasons. One, the very first game of the tournament when they played the Netherlands on Tuesday night. Again, I made a point ball. to go out, put it on TV here. And it was funny, too, because I went up to the bar and I there were multiple TVs on. There's college basketball conference tournaments. The abs were playing that night. And I went to the bartender. I'm like, hey, need a little baseball on the screen here. And she's like, we're not putting spring training baseball on when there's other games going on. I go, no, no, no. It's World Baseball Classic. There's nobody here. Just put, put the damn game on. The so she game. did actually pivot and put FS1 on. Um, the, the thing that stood out to me too is I did place a wager on them winning Pool A, and that's not looking so good right now. So I, I had a vested interest maybe in watching them play. Uh, there's a number of White Sox on that Cuban team. They got Robert in oh, center field. Well, we found the problem. Kind of. I mean, Mokata too. So it's been funny sort of watching that roster, recognizing a bunch of big league names, including guys on the South side and seeing them largely play just absolutely terrible baseball. And they did rally uh, last night. They uh, put a nice game together, a big like eight or nine run inning, something like that, that blew the game open late, but they've not looked very good at all. And that's been a real surprise to me. Yeah. I mean, and their rally last night was against like a handful of pitchers yeah. that, either have been out of the majors for like five years or like are pitching in high A right now. So like the rally was not against major league talent. Like one of the guys was like a 39 year old who last played in the majors in 2006. Yeah. But he's still pitching in Panama for the last 10 years. You know, I put the game on, they were down something like four to two. They had a yeah. couple of guys on and the pitcher on the mound for Panama was struggling. And I'm watching the game here going, all right, go to the bullpen. And he walks a guy, go to the bullpen, he walks a guy, a couple of base hits. I'm like, why is this guy still on the mound? Three batters later, Cuba's taking the lead. They never look back. The broadcaster, Tyler Mon, who's actually a Denver guy here, does a lot of broadcasting work, including University of Denver men's basketball. He even said on the broadcast, boy, that pitcher was left in about five batters longer than he needed to. So there were some questionable things there that gave them a window. But that was a team that I thought would be a lot more competitive. Yeah, it's it's been unfortunate because it's just been like the brand of baseball has just been bad. Like I've and I've talked to White Sox fans and that I know and they because they've been following the, this team and like and they've been rooting for this team because of Moncada for Robert and they've just been like it's been like an extension of last year's White Sox season for us because it's been like watching this Tony Larusa match. We've seen Robert get bought back picked off a second from from the catcher for no reason. Juan Moncada on a you had first and third one out. And Juan Moncada got caught off of off of third on a ground ball to the third baseman. Uh, so it's just been bad. And 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 they've had some, you know, Juan Moncada broke out a little bit last night because he he was hitting balls weekly all over the field. And last night he had a couple hard hit balls. Robert to me, and I've just been watching. I I if a major league pitcher throws Luis Robert a fastball next year, 
I'm like that guy should be kicked, like just immediately dropped out banished. of any organization. Just banished because I've been watching him, and he's swinging at every singing breaking ball. And the only time, if, if one just if it's just a weak breaking ball that hangs in the middle of the zone, he can hit it hard. And if he gets a fastball in near the zone, he can hit it hard. But if you're throwing him like seven breaking balls that are out of the zone, he's just swinging and striking out. He's swinging at every pitch. It's like watching like. Like Alfonso Soriano or Javi Baez at their very worst is kind of what Luis Robert is right now. And that's actually kind of sad because I had high hopes for him. I thought he was going to be like a kind of a really star like player. And his plate approach has been God awful. But he, if you if you leave something in the zone, he's going to hit it hard and he's going to hit it far. But he's swinging at every single pitch. Now, obviously, the teams in uh, Pool A, Pool B, maybe a little further from being near and dear to our hearts. But is there a team from either pool or maybe a one team from each pool who you've kind of adopted as your horse in the, the Taijung pool, pool A and the Tokyo pool, pool B? Well, first off, again, I'm, I'm all in on the Americans as an American. So well, I want right. to see that's, pool, that's pool C and, of course. Right. No, no. Yeah. And, and I don't think this is the best American world baseball classic team. I don't think they're going to end up winning it. Although I too hope many Cardinals. Do. Um, well, we'll get to that actually in a second here. The, the team that is, I think, the most fun, that has the most hype around it and have lived up to that hype is Japan. They look Absolutely. phenomenal. They've got top-line major league talent. you got Otani, you got Darvish, among a bunch of other guys there. I wanted to ask you about this, Randall, too. How torn are you on what's going on with Team Japan right now? Because we know you love Japan, right? you, you got a lot of common interests. Lars Newtbar, the St. Louis Cardinal, has become a legend in Japan, right? His mom is Japanese. He is an American-born, California-born player who has become one of the faces of this team, and he seems to be embracing it. So does it hurt you that this team that I know you love, Japan, has a Cardinal right at the heart of everything? It's just so it, – it's half funny, half obnoxious between Tommy Edmond on Team Korea and between the the Lars Newtbar candy bar on – team japan i just have to wonder is there a a more deserving npv player sitting at home and a more deserving kbo player sitting at home who lost their roster spot because these mediocre cardinals players wanted a spot on these teams i prefer to think yes because that more fits the 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 anti-cardinal narrative in my mind and i'm gonna keep looking for the facts until i can find the facts to fit my narrative uh speaking of team japan and who's not there uh, i did see that they are hanging Seiya Suzuki's number 51 jersey in the dugout, and Seiya's been walking around Cubs camp wearing his Samurai Japan number 51 jersey. That's nice to see. We know how badly he wanted to play in this tournament and represent his country. We know how fun that would have been to see uh, a Cub that I think we all like and have high hopes for playing for his national team. And again, still unfortunate that he's not able to do that. It's nice to see that they're thinking of him, and it's nice to see that he's he's you know thinking of his would-have-been teammates as this tournament goes on. Yeah, uh, two things there for me. One, uh, talk about Dupar. Uh, you know, I believe he's the first ever like non-Japanese-born player to play for Samurai Japan, at least in the World Baseball Classic. Well, that's uh, going to be a pretty, hell of a trivia question in well, ten years. A pretty impressive, uh, you know, feat. You know, obviously the Japanese uh, Federation they wanted Lars Dupar on this roster, and it's disappointing to see, you know, a Cardinal that like, why is this guy so good? I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate that. But for Seiya, uh, 
I, I do like that, you know, they're they're odd, whatever, but then it, it kind of makes me feel about like when the White Sox, not to go back to the White Sox, but when, when they brought out the the Eloy, the Eloy jersey and they were like, <laughs> like, 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 I'm like, okay, Zaya's still alive. Like, he's still around. He's still a guy. Like, Eloy, they were treat Eloy, they treat Eloy like he was dead. Like, they had the jersey hung up. Like, he was, it was horrible. They brought it out on opening day. It was like a whole thing. And I'm like, Zaya's still around. He's still a guy. He could still be out there rooting. I mean, he could have flown to Japan for obviously probably not but with the oblique injury but it's like it's every time i see something like that that's what i think of i think like it's it's a little far to me like i know yeah. you all love say he's a great teammate whatever but like like okay it's not like he had this tragic injury he just strained his oblique a little bit probably because he was lifting too yeah. much weights well it, it's a real loss for us for say for fans of that team as well, and Cubs fans everywhere, that we don't get to see him in this tournament. Because the visuals coming out of Japan are unbelievable. I mean, completely sold-out ballparks, fans standing the entire game. It's like a good college football game atmosphere. There was a game in, I think it was in Taiwan, there was like a live band playing in the stands during the game, and the place is full, and people are going nuts. It's awesome to see that. And I think it's good for American baseball fans to be exposed to international fan bases a little bit. Like what American baseball fan doesn't watch the scene in Japan and go, wow, that would be a lot of fun here, right? I go a lot of games at Coors Field. I go to a lot of games at Coors Field where there's maybe 20,000 people there and half of them are in the bar and right field, right? They're not really paying attention to what's going on. So to see those atmosphere, I, I want a less stuffy Major League Baseball atmosphere at games here in the States. Maybe we can learn that from our international fans here. Uh, now, I, I do want to say this. Obviously, we can all root, for the most part, for Team USA. Jeremy and I get to enjoy Team, quote-unquote, Israel, made up uh, almost entirely of Jewish-American ballplayers. Ronan, when does Team Ireland make yeah. its first World Baseball Classic? Well, when, when when do we get to enjoy that? Uh, the, you know, a nice white and green jersey, a shamrock on the chest. When do we get to enjoy that? When do you get to enjoy that? When do you get to enjoy what Jeremy and I have gotten to experience with Team Israel? Yeah, the time is coming, and you get a chance to see the Irishmen swinging the shillelaghs out there and uh, some fighting Irish knocking the ball out of the park. I'd love to see that happen. Uh, it would be great. There was a time, uh, some point in the 1980s, my dad and brothers brought baseball to Northern Ireland. They brought a bunch of bats, gloves, balls. They were out there for a couple of weeks in the summer and left the equipment there so the people in Northern Ireland could play a little bit of Major League Baseball. I'm going to Ireland this summer. And I may have to bust out some Rockies Cubs gear, bring some gloves and teach the youngins out there. So the next World Baseball Classic. So what? That'll be 27. It Ireland, would be scheduled yeah, for Ireland. 2027. Yep. Look out, folks. Now, Lots now, of apostrophes. I, I want to say two things. You know, there's um, team Great Britain, team Czech Republic. There's a lot of, you know, people of descent, expats. Easily. Bench coach Ronan O'Shea for Team Ireland. I think in 2027, I think that's something we need to keep on the radar. And, you know, we've mentioned that Samurai Japan is the name of Japan's national team. They use it for both their Olympic teams and the rest of their international competitions, including the World Baseball Classic. What would the team name be for Team Ireland? I have some suggestions, but uh, I don't want to be accused of anything here on the airwaves of Behind the Yellow Line. What would you call the Team Ireland team if you had to give it a name like Samurai Japan? I mean, I like Team Ireland. I, I think that that works. Uh, what are some of these other teams? Is there a fancier name that other teams are using as well? Or is it you know, I, sort I don't of Japan? Think, yeah, I think it's pretty much just Japan who calls their team the, the, the Samurai Japan moniker. I haven't come across any other teams other than um, I do know Team Netherlands is very often referred to as Honkball. 
because that is part of the name of the top professional league in the Netherlands. And honestly, as team names go, you, you can't do a whole lot better than to just call it honkball. Uh, but other than that, I don't think I've seen any any kind of in, nicknames like that for any other teams. So maybe Team Ireland can eventually uh, help set that trend as well amongst the European federations. Yeah, what you what you guys need is your own little Bud Selig and Jerry Reinsdorf to go over there and and uh, you know try to build it up in the in the homeland in the Gaelic area. Uh, but to not just not to get off too far from um, what you're talking about the Ireland, but to answer your question that you asked originally for me about who would I would want to be uh, in Pool A and Pool B. I like the team Italy personally because one, they have three Cubs on it, uh, or guys who are in the Cubs organization, and in Miles Mastroboni, Vinny, Vinny Natolio, and Ben Deluzio. And Miles Mastroboni had a double the other day that like popped out of you know, his chest with his glove. So like I like to watch them. They had that nice uh, upset win over Cuba. So I'm I'm going with the Italians. I I think that uh, they're a fun team to watch over there. That uh, in the, right now in the in the you know Far East. Jeremy likes his international baseball like he likes his cased meats. He's going with the Italians. He's going with the Italians. <laughs> the the right. hot, the hot, Italian spicy tonight. There you go. The, the hot, spicy Italians. Uh, we actually got a great moment too. You talked about Czech Republic a minute ago. Their first World Baseball Classic win coming in dramatic fashion the other night. They were trailing to China in the ninth inning in Tokyo. They get a three-run home run down the line. They rally in the ninth. They go out and win it. So what a great statement for them. They get that first win and to do it in dramatic fashion like that in the Tokyo Dome. Sammy Sosa played the Tokyo Dome. It's neat to see that. Well, that's because they have born winner Eric Sogard on their team, Team Czech Republic. And when you've got Eric Sogard on your roster, how can you possibly lose? The cool thing about the Czech Republic is like 90% of their team aren't actually professional baseball players. They have they're, real jobs. They're teachers, they're firefighters, yeah. they're, they're sports marketing. Yeah, you got a lot of uh, part-time part-time amateur baseball players on that roster. And like you said, they're holding their own in uh, otherwise a, a, a pretty tough pool. You've got team Japan in that pool. You've got team Korea in that pool. You've got Australia who's uh, put together some pretty decent games. Yeah. So they're, they're holding their own in, yeah. in pool B. And that's again, part of the fun of this tournament is you never know what, what team of amateur part-timers is going to surprise you. Well, two other things from the world baseball classic, one that sort of had me laughing. It's, thrown a little bit of a wrench into MLB.com and the MLB app. If you subscribe to the MLB app, and let's say you're a Cubs fan, uh, Cubs played the White Sox today, you get an alert when the game's over. The Chicago White Sox defeated the Cubs 4-3. to Earlier in the week, the Rockies played Team Mexico, and the coders for the app didn't know what to do because it's Team Mexico. So the tweet actually said, or the message said, the Mexico defeats Rockies 11-1 to in an exhibition game during spring training. So I thought that that was sort of funny. Rockies fans were having a bit of fun of that and also going, holy crap, we lost 11-1 to to, quote, the Mexico. The other thing that I saw the other day, and I wanted your opinion, especially on this, Randall, um, we're talking about the fan base and everything. I'd encourage folks to go online, type in World Baseball Classic Taiwan. Wild scene in the game the other night between uh, Italy and Taipei in Taiwan. And you got a a sold-out ballpark. The batter is in the batter's box, right? And this on Twitter right now is more than a million views. The batter is in the batter's box. There is about a dozen people on top of the dugout. There's two mascots. You've got male and female cheerleaders jumping and dancing on the dugout while the batter's in the batter's box. So on one hand, kind of an electric atmosphere. The fans are standing. On the other hand, Randall, 
You're in the second row behind the dugout. You think you got prime seats. And standing between you and home plate is this giant circular mascot with a big red hat completely blocking your view. What do you do? Well, I have to imagine that the people sitting in those seats probably knew what they were getting themselves into. I don't think there's a whole lot of like tourists, expats, whatever, who picked those seats thinking they were going to have uh, maybe the, maybe the best seats in the house. I have to figure you knew what you were getting self in, yourself into and you were good with it. You're going to be hanging out with the mascots and dancing with the mascots uh, while you are watching the game. And that's something I know you're familiar with, with your Dinger experiences. You love those dancing mascots on the dugouts as Dinger does in every home game. So in that way, you get to experience international baseball, a little bit of international baseball right there in Denver. I will say Dinger is disciplined enough that it is not mid at bat. It's in between innings. He kind of gets the seventh inning stretch. He jumps and dances and shakes his tail and all that. But <laughs> it's an unbelievable tweet. Uh, the gentleman, Jeff Eisenband, uh, again, lots of retweets, about a million views on it. But these these uh, mascots as well, they're like, here, here's a term that Randall's familiar with. They're Funko Pop shaped, shaped giant mascots, right? They've got big heads and big bodies, and they're dancing next to like four or five cheerleaders but right on top of the dugout is the batters in the batter's box. So to me, that would be a little bit annoying. I assume that Randall, if he was in that situation, he would be get up and dance with them. Like that's what I would, that's what I would expect. He'd be up there doing the whole little swing or whatever they were doing. They were, they were, you know, hip thrusting is what I'd call it. Uh, So uh, I, that's, that would be my expectation. Like if, you know, the whole crowd's getting into it, you got the, you know, that type of atmosphere, the Koreans going crazy. I expect Randall to get into it as well. If he's there in the second row. Yeah. Uh, awesome atmosphere, though. It's been fun at the same time, ready to watch the Americans play. So we'll get that Saturday night, Sunday, and Monday, as Randall said. Sunday, I think, is the big one to watch this weekend. Prime time, Sunday night, college basketball is going to be wrapped up at that point prior to the tournament. Nothing else on. So put it on. U.S.-Mexico sold-out game at, is it Chase Field? What's it called these days? In Bank it's, One Ball I believe it's still Chase. I believe it's still Chase Field. The yeah. Bob. The, play, the, the Bob. Bob. The former so Bob. That's the Bob, be Renly, Bob Renly Ballpark. But, but do you agree with me at all that San Diego should sort of take claim to the pool there? They rotate it, right? They, they play in right. different cities. I just love that ballpark in San Diego much more than what you want to call the, that airport hangar or whatever you want to call it there. In no, you're, you're not wrong. Chase Field, not I mean, the greatest place to play baseball. But again, they, they do want to rotate it. They do want to rotate it uh, in and out. You've had Dodger Stadium host. You've had uh, Petco Park host. You do want to get kind of all of the West Coast slash Southwest ballparks some run. And I'm perfectly okay with that. We've had uh, PNC, or I'm sorry, we've had, we've had the park in San Francisco host it. So I'm, I'm good with it. And of course, you know, you want to take weather into account, and that's not typically an issue as you get far enough West and Southwest. Um, but, you know, I, I suspect at some point, probably the new ballpark in uh, Arlington will probably host, even that's maybe Awful. a little too far. Yeah, I, I don't know. You're it's not ugly. a fan of that. Maybe a little too far um, east, but yeah, you want to, you want to rotate them in and out. And, you know, I, I think it's at least moderately interesting that they, they rotate in and out. You get these different backdrops and it's not necessarily the same, the same backdrop from every, every four years. So I'm, I'm okay with them rotating. It's not like they overdo it on Chase Field or the, the former bank one ballpark, as you call it. So I'm good with it. And, you know, it'll be back in somewhere else sooner versus later. Yeah. I just assume, you know, obviously, uh, they try to keep it as close to the spring training sites as possible. That's why you have some in Miami, you have some in uh, 
in Arizona. And then, you know, we, we saw the championship round last time was played at Dodger stadium. Uh, we, we get to a little bit more of a kind of a, a nicer park as we, we, you move along. So that, I guess that's a goal, right? You know, you move, you, you want to win so you could play in the nicer ballpark. Well, it's a really nice opportunity. Like we said, Sunday night, um, not a whole lot else going on. I'm sure there's some NBA and NHL, but college basketball is going to wrap up by Sunday afternoon. And then major league baseball gets a chance to get the nation's attention. And I will be watching. I'm excited for it. Ronan, you mentioned venues, uh, the championship, the semifinals and the championship will be held in Miami at current Lone Depot park. So we're getting, uh, well-watched games at Chase Field, and we're getting well-watched games at the home of the Miami Marlins. So if we're going by teams that I do not have a whole lot of affinity for, their ballparks are getting quite a bit of run in uh, this World Baseball Classic. You know, I, I think of the three of us, I probably have the, the best opinion of the ballpark in Miami. I actually think it looks like a decent spot, especially given what they came from. I would go out and say, though, that I think some of the renovations they've made to the park have made it worse. I like the home run statue in the outfield there. I know a lot of people thought it was gaudy. Well, so is Miami. I've been down there. I thought it was perfect <laughs> for that city. You don't need to put a Wrigley Field in every single city. That doesn't make sense in a lot of places. I think it worked down there. Also, and this may not have been pleasant for the fish, and I recognize that that's why they changed it, but they got rid of the aquariums behind the plate. Remember, the backstop in Miami used to be an aquarium with fishes actually in it. So maybe that wasn't feasible for those animals, but it was very cool, and I thought it was actually a neat tradition that they were brewing down there in Miami. Uh, I heard the fish unionized, and MLB wasn't oh, down with that, so they got rid of the fish. I agree with you, Ronan. I, I, I've never been there, so I can't really comment on how nice of a statement is or anything, but I, I, I always thought it looked pretty cool from the outside and you know it was probably a boondoggle the way they got it done for the for the government but uh and and i like the 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 you know giant home run statue or whatever that Derek Jeter took out and Derek Jeter's not even there anymore but yeah. uh you know and it's a huge ballpark it's the 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 dimensions are giant which made it all more, more impressive that uh stan hit like 57 homers there once so i don't know i always thought that was a ballpark that at least had a little bit of character especially coming from where they did come from the dolphin stadium pro player whatever you want to call it yeah i do want to point out one more thing that uh, did uh, stand out to me this week that i do find very funny um there are of course a lot of major league umpires working world baseball classic games and it's they're scattered all over the world you don't have um you don't have umpire crews that are solely american um i do find it funny that angel hernandez is umpiring somewhere in this World Baseball Classic. I don't know where he's umpiring, but that's Angel Hernandez for you. He's out there somewhere waiting to do something. And the other night I was watching one of these games in Pool A being played in Taichung, Taiwan, and they mentioned the names of the umpires behind the plate at the bases. I didn't recognize any of them. And then they mentioned that Dan Iasonia, veteran major yes. league umpire, is was umpiring second base in that game. And that was just funny to me that you're playing in Taichung, Taiwan, on the other side of the world from the United States. And there's Dan Iasonia, of all people, who's umpiring this game between the Netherlands and Cuba. That's good stuff, Randall. It's been it's been fun though watching. It's fun seeing different countries. Also, you know, nine o'clock at night here, and I'm watching a game at 12 noon or 12 uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it was in Taiwan, going, wow, this is kind of cool. Uh, those folks out there appear to be having a good time, and I'm enjoying my Tuesday night here. So, uh, so far, so good on that front. Randall, I've got one other note on Lone Depot bar Ballpark as well. It is a historic ballpark in Cubs history. Of course, I'm talking about opening day 2018. Ian Happ, first pitch of the first season, pitch. home run over the fence in right field. So maybe that's part of the reason why I kind of have a nice opinion of the ballpark in Miami. 
I thought you were talking about when you Darvish took out all three behind home plate, <laughs> uh, the catcher, the batter, and the umpire on a Jackie Robinson day. That was quite the play in yeah. uh, you know, Low Depot Park. Yeah, quite the scene down there. But uh, U.S. going at it this weekend. We'll have more than, on that in a next week. We come back here with the show and hopefully a couple of wins under their belt. Let's come back to the Cubs here for a moment. We, over the last couple of weeks, have been looking at fan graph projections. We've been going position by position, outfield, infield, catcher, utility guys. Let's go to the starting rotation. And I'm very curious where both of you stand here. We got a handful of guys here that we think will make a serious number of starts for the Cubs this year. We're going to read off the projections from fan graphs. And then you've got to take an opinion over or under. You can't say that looks right. You got to put yourself out there a little bit. So, Jeremy, let's start at the top of the rotation here. Stroman comes back his second year with the Cubs. Of course, we're talking Marcus Stroman. What do the projections say and what do you think? Yeah, so uh, for Marcus Stroman, we were looking at it, according to projections on the depth chart, they're coming in at you with a 10 and 10 record, 172 innings pitched, uh, 3.8 uh, ERA, and 2.4 WAR. And uh, of course, last year he went six and seven, 138.2 uh, innings pitched, 3.5 ERA, which actually kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, that was lower than I thought, and two WAR. Um, you know, he didn't pitch a ton of innings last year, only 138, so it's projecting him for 172. I'm kind of like, you know, it's kind of tough for me because I'm like of two minds of this. Like there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, he's going to succeed. He's got that elite defense behind him now. You get that sinker. Uh, so I think I'm going to go over. I mean, he started off pretty poor last year and kind of struggled. And I never really think of him as a true elite pitcher, um, a solid pitcher to be sure. But I'm going to go over just because I think the defense is really going to help him this year. I will also take the over. I do think he's going to pitch better than these projections say. Again, plenty of debate as to how much over, but we can't, you know, we can't say that sounds right. And so I will err on the side of optimism. Take the over on Marcus Stroman. I think it's going to be a nice year for Marcus Stroman. I'm going with the under, but the reason why I'm going with the under is I don't think he's going to be a Cub come August. I think this is a guy... This is a very important year for Marcus Stroman. He's got an opt-out at the end of the year, which means if the Cubs are in a bad place in July... This is a guy that you most certainly, and he's having a nice year. This is a guy that you're going to want to look at potentially moving because you're going to get something back for him. Every team that is trying to win is going to look to add a starting pitcher. And if Marcus is pitching well, he fits into their plans. And then he gets the test free agency again and maybe get another multi-year contract. He took a shorter deal with the Cubs. He bet on himself. Higher money, shorter year. So he's playing for everything this year. So I think he's going to be great. I just don't think he's going to be with the Cub for the full season. That's why I'm staying under. So I don't know if we've prefaced this where is it the players' total statistics all year? Right. Uh, So I'm going to go with under in that I think he will outperform two and a half four. I just don't think it's going to happen with the Chicago Cubs. And so the other thing I was going to say um, besides that, well, the question – when we're talking about over under, I, I've been I'm kind of referring to the war because obviously we all want them to be under on the ERA. Oh yes, yes, yeah. We're talking about war yeah, here. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, it, it, let's just say in general we are talking uh, outperforming these projections, whatever the stat may be. Yeah. Uh, if we are taking the over, so we can we can make that clear to our listeners. Nobody taking the over. We're taking the over. We're, we're saying positive things. We don't think the ERA is going to be higher. That's why I like uh, ERA plus. It's a whole lot easier. Next up here, the big free agent signing for the Cubs. He comes back to the division. Jamison Tyon, he's been with the Yankees for the last few years. Started with the Pirates, so we've seen him before at Wrigley Field. Jeremy, what does Fangraph say, and where do you stand? 
Yeah, so Jameson Tyone, uh, Fangraphs coming in with a 9-10 and 10 record as opposed to the Strowman's 10-10 and 10 record. And this is actually something I kind of thought interesting as well. We'll see with a lot of these, a lot of these records are like right around 500. So kind of expects the Cubs to be like a 500 team, uh, nine and 10 record, 172 innings pitched 4.20 ERA. I know some people like that ERA, uh, 2.1 war. I hear you. Uh, yeah. And coming off of last year, last year, 14 and five with 177.1 innings pitched 3.91 ERA and 2.3 war. So James Tyone, he was the big, uh, Cubs signing uh, when it comes to terms of pitching, he you kind of brought him in because the last couple of years he's been like a solid, effective kind of mid rotation starter. He's been really going out there every fifth day, 177 innings last year, showing what he could do. And maybe there's a little bit of upside there. Maybe you know he was a, a phenom at one point, a top prospect. Ah, uh, 2.1 WAR. I'm actually like, I'm actually going to go over this. I think he's going to pitch pretty well at Wrigley Field. I I I might be a little too optimistic here with some of these guys. But I'm going to go over on James Tyone. I kind of like the fit with him in, at Wrigley. Sticking optimistic, I'm taking the over. I think he's going to pitch much better than these projections. So I will stick with over. Yeah, let's make it a triple play. I'm going over. I think he's going to lead the Cubs in innings pitch this year. Also, that's another projection that I have here. I think he's going to be perfectly solid. He's going to make just about all of his starts. And at the end of the year, he'll be better than a two-war player. So yeah, I'm taking the over there. Here's the name that maybe we are most excited about collectively on the show here. Back again, the young Justin Steele. What do you see here from Fangraphs? Yeah, so Justin Steele from Fangraphs, they're giving him an 8-7 and seven, uh, record, 100. 37 innings pitched, 3.77 ERA, 1.9 WAR. And last year, you know, we saw Justin Steele. He was four and seven with 119 innings pitched, but a 3.18 ERA and a 2.6 WAR, which is a pretty good season for Justin Steele and only 119 innings pitched. And so, for me, I'm a big Justin Steele guy. I think he's going to have a, a monster year. I understand why the projections are regressing him a little bit. You know, he still kind of you know hasn't really shown it as much in the majors. But I'm going over. I think Justin Steele is going to dominate that. I think he's going to be a great pitcher. Easy over for me. I think Justin Steele is a big-time breakout candidate this season. I think he will outperform these projections. And I am uh, sticking with my optimism. And optimism shares the letter O with over. Yeah, three for three. Again, over. Uh, The only thing that will prevent Justin Steele from going over is an injury. That's my thought, right? He's going to be dominant on the mound, and he's going to stay healthy. I think that he is going to emerge at the end of this season as an established, solid Major League Baseball number two pitcher, and he's going to be a big part of the Cubs' success moving forward. So that's all over here for the two top guys, uh, at least the last two guys here, Tyone and Steele. Here's a name that I'm not very excited about. I'm eager to think what you guys got on it. Drew Smiley, he's back on a multi-year deal. What does Fangraph say for Drew Smiley? Yeah, Drew Smiley. Uh, actually, the interesting thing about Drew Smiley was uh, they got him going seven and nine, uh, right around five hundred again. One hundred thirty-four innings pitched. The interesting thing about him was when I was looking at the the projections, it actually because in the past he's been the reliever, it actually projected him to like appear in forty-nine games this year, but twenty-one starts. But I do think he's mostly going to be a starter this year. I don't think he's really going to be coming out of the bullpen uh, all that much. But one hundred thirty-four innings pitched, four point five five ERA. 0.8 war and last year he pitched pretty solidly he had that nice start in uh the iowa as we all remember seven and eight 106 innings pitched 3.47 era and 1.3 war and the cubs brought him back he was a free agent he wanted to come back he came back i mean he had the mutual option but they obviously declined all that uh i like drew smiley i i'm kind of iffy on him a little bit with these numbers but 
I'm gonna go over just because I think okay. I think he's gonna be I think he, he's gonna be relatively healthy. I think he's kind of gonna be a mainstay in the rotation. So I think he's gonna pitch a lot of innings. And I think he, I don't think he's gonna be like a great, but I think he's gonna give you a lot of innings. And I think that's gonna bump his WAR at least over one. So I I, I think that's the reason why because I think he's gonna be a reliable guy that goes out there all the time. All right, I'm going to break my streak here. I'm taking the under. I think it's going to go south for Smiley at some point. And, you know, I think maybe he recovers from it. But I do think that these projections, as given, I do think he underperforms these. So I will take the under. I'm with you, Randall. I don't like this signing at all. I don't like the fact that he got a two-year deal. Drew Smiley hasn't had a two-war season since 2014. He was better last year. Injuries have been a problem, though for him for a while. I don't think this is going to be good. I think this is going to be a contract, even though it's two years, I think it's around 20 million. I think this is a contract the Cubs are going to regret by the midpoint of this year. And then they've got him back for next year as well. So I don't like it. I'm taking the under. I will also say if Drew Smiley is worse than a 0.8 war pitcher, that's yikes. That That's bad. It's really going to be bad. He has to outperform this. I just don't think he's going to. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I just, I think he, I, I know he's been injured in the past and he's missed seasons with Tommy John. I just feel like they got him to be kind of this reliable four number five guy. And I feel like he's going to do it. I feel like he's going to take the ball a lot. And uh, he showed some success last year. So hopefully he, he can do it in the future. I mean, he was once a top prospect. He was traded for David Price. He yeah. was like him and Willie Adams. Uh, 34 years old this year for Drew Smiley. Um, Jeremy, you're a college baseball guy. Do you remember where Drew Smiley played in college? Just throwing that I at you. it was Arkansas, right? You got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they have a nice baseball program down there. Uh, very yeah. competitive team. You're in and you're out. The Omahaws. Get towards the bottom of the starting rotation here. Here's an intriguing name, a guy that for years we've been waiting to drop off, and he just doesn't. Adrian Sampson. He's back. What does Fangraphs have on the potential number five for the Cubs? So Adrian Sampson, not really – impressing the projections that much. And I think he was another guy where there was a lot of appearances coming out of the bullpen, uh, but only going three and three, 58 innings pitch, four, seven, three ERA. And Bankers gave him a 0. 0.0, the old blue Tarski, <laughs> uh, uh, Bluto from, uh, 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 animal house, uh, 0.0 war. And a four, four, uh, four and five record last year, 104 innings pitch. He 3.11 ERA pretty well. 1.5 war. I mean, last year, I, 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 he pitched pretty well. They brought him back. I, I don't see it. He's been smashed up in street training. I know that doesn't mean it that much, but uh, I just don't see it. And I, I think he's going to be bad next year. I think I don't think he's going to last very long in the organization. I mean, he might go back down to Iowa after they DFA him, but I, I'm going to go under. I, even though the 0.0, I think he, I, I don't see it. I think he's not going to pitch that well. Yep. I will take the under on Adrian Sampson as well. I think that's a guy who, lives on the margins a lot. He has to do a lot of things perfect in order to be effective. And I think uh, you can only sustain that for so long. So I am going under on Adrian Sampson. Well, poo-poo to each of you. That's two poos. One for you, Jeremy. One for you, Randall. I'll take the over with Adrian Sampson. He's got to be better than 0.0 war. Uh, Like I said, we've been waiting for him for years to not be good. And he's been kind of a perfectly solid guy for the Cubs the last couple of seasons. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to make 30 stars this year for the Cubs, but I think he'll pitch all right when he's out there. So I'll take the over at least a 0.1 war from Adrian Sampson here in 2023. And let's round it out with a guy we talked a little bit about earlier. He had that bounce pass that got past Eric Hosmer earlier in the week against Seattle. Hayden Wesneski, we were raving about him last time on the pod. What does Fangraphs think, Jeremy? 
Yeah, and once again, you know, six and seven record, ninety-five innings pitch, four point five six ERA, zero point nine WAR, which I understand. You know, just a small sample size of in the majors. He kind of really turned it on last year in the minors. Uh, last year, obviously, in the majors, three and two, thirty-three innings pitch, two point one eight ERA, point seven WAR, and thirty-three innings. Uh, for me, I understand why they're they're projecting him there, but I'm gonna go over. I think that Hayden Wesneski is a stud. I watched him, you know, these these that slider is just wicked. And he had that first immaculate inning since we saw Troy our boy do it against the Marlins in 2004 uh, for the Cubs. I think Wesneski. Every time I watch him, I, I come away more impressed. I think he, I'm going over. I think he's gonna be a really good pitcher. Taking the over here, I'm with Jeremy. I think he's going to show out and overperform this by a, a fair bit. So I'm going over. I'll also take the over. I think Hayden Wesneski is going to be the second most exciting pitcher in the Cubs rotation this year behind Justin Steele. I think Tyone's going to be solid, just a perfectly solid guy out there eating up innings. But I think we're going to have a lot of wow moments watching Justin Steele and Hayden Wesneski. So I'm going with the over there. We've been tracking this all year, a couple months from now, a couple weeks from now, we're going to start and go, Oh boy, we got this one wrong, but hopefully we're right here with taking the over for Tyone Steele, and Wesneski. That was a perfect sweep from the three of us here on the show. So let's make that happen in the rotation that that would make the team much more competitive. If those three guys have a big year. Yeah, and as I said, the one thing that was interesting was the win-loss records. Pretty much all of them were right around 500. Like, if you add them all up, it's basically 500 from those guys. So hopefully, I know we don't all don't want to, like, we want a competitive team that's going to make the, you know, playoffs and everything. But, like, you know, if the Cubs are kind of around that throughout the season, like, that's the type of – I want to have a, a season where it's not, like, just over, like, at the start of April. I want to have a season where it's like, okay, we're kind of in this – to August, September. So hopefully that kind of plays out a little bit for my, my our sake, I think. You want a season where the vibes, the good vibes continue throughout the summer. And there's there's no place that has good summer vibes like Wrigley Field. Exactly. Yeah, looking forward to getting out there. My first game is going to be early April, though. So not quite summer vibes at that point. The, in the, vibes, season, but... the vibes will be a little different. I, I got yeah. my opening day tickets. I'll be out there. That's right. Yeah. One. Um, I'll be there a couple weeks later. Uh, Dodgers are in town uh, April 21st. So, Jeremy, I know you're going to be out there that day. Randall, PTO, sick day, uh, whatever you got to do, play hooky. You got to come out to the ballpark, Cubs, Dodgers. Cody Bellinger revenge day at Wrigley Field your, that Friday. Your Back request has been submitted day. to HR, Ronan. It'll, It'll be, be fun. Uh, and, Randall, you know, bring the blanket. It's going to be chilly on a Friday on April at Wrigley Field. A couple other things here to bring things home. Jersey related. Apparently, Randall told me this. I don't know anything about this. So I'm going to give him the throne here in a moment. Apparently, Nike has a new Jersey rule for the 2023 season. What's that about, Randall? So Nike, uh, having since taken over the entirety of the MLB Jersey operation from former Majestic Athletic, they've instituted this rule that they call four plus one. Teams are permitted up to four normal jerseys that they can rotate in and out as they see fit. And then the one is the City Connect jersey, these jerseys that Nike has uh, created, instituted, that are supposed to call back to your region, your city, uh, whatever. Uh, and 
To that end, a lot of teams that had more than four jerseys in the rotation, that does include spring training. You, you don't see too many teams that have a dedicated spring training jersey anymore. But if they do, that does count as one of those four. And teams that have uh, an additional jersey that they would like to rotate in and out more, two teams have eliminated their road gray jerseys, and that's the Seattle Mariners and the Tampa Bay Rays. The Seattle Mariners have eliminated their road grays, and they will be using their navy blue alternates as the road jersey. Uh, Their jerseys, they have their great home jerseys, the whites. They have the navy blue. They have the teal alternates. And then they have their great Sunday throwbacks, which are cream colored. They use the old blue and yellow uh, of the the throwback color scheme, those are great jerseys, and they decided that their uh, that their road jerseys were simply the odd jersey out. Uh, likewise, Tampa, they will for the most part be using their navy jersey with gray pants on the road, and they have kicked their uh, road gray jersey out in order to allow for their Tampa Bay Devil Rays throwbacks, the ones with the rainbow gradient word mark on the front that go with the uh, purple numbers, purple letters, and uh, purple hats. And it's interesting because we're so used to having road gray jerseys in the major leagues. It's just kind of part of the fabric at this point, that pun not intended. Um, So my question for the both of you, would you have, if you had your druthers, would you have the Cubs kick out their road gray jerseys in in exchange for instituting a a throwback, maybe another alternate? What would you do if you could? Absolutely not. In fact, if I were the commissioner of Major League Baseball, I would require teams to have a road gray jersey that is as classic as it comes and that road gray jersey should say the city or state name across the chest it should not say the team name so when the cubs are on the road it should say chicago on the chest when you're at home it can say cubs the road team should always have the city or state so the rockies colorado that obviously makes sense no i hate it i have the gray jerseys are as classic as it gets and getting rid of it for other sellable jerseys I don't like at all. In fact, I absolutely hate it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a fan of this rule, to be honest. But not be, for the sake of, uh, like I think teams have too many jerseys, to be honest. But the idea that like Nike wants to limit them to four, it's kind of like, come on, like I I think that's kind of like I think teams should on their own take it down. I know they can't, they won't, but take it down a little bit. But you know, did the Cubs? do that like they didn't have road uniform uh excuse me uh road grays in the 80s i don't believe they just had the blue pullover tops and the white pants uh right, so we've, and they've, we've, we've seen that before from the cubs and we've so definitely i have seen eras i i Sorry, I, I personally would i agree with ronan i think you go with the road grays i think you get that that city name the state name on there i i'm not a fan of this whole you know the color tops on the road uh i i, I would road grays home whites. I, that's how I do it. Uh, you know, maybe some off color, like the giants have or the Padres or whatever, but, uh, I, 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 am I, I think this is kind of a dumb rule to be honest. And I think kind of this whole thing, just make it simple. That's all I want. I mean, I don't need all these crazy yeah. jerseys all the time. Yeah. It does feel like the, the tail wagging the dog because this is Nike's rule. It's not MLB's rule. It is Nike's rule. And it, it, it does seem a little odd that the apparel provider is dictating terms to the league and i'm sure they have probably have sales data that says the road grays are and the teams have this i'm sure that the road grays are like the lowest selling jerseys and they'd much rather sell another colored alternate but yeah it does feel odd that this thing that is so much a part of what we're used to for the game is retired for at least a season for two of these teams now the cubs 
are not afoul of this yet. They do not have a dedicated spring training jersey. You have your home whites. You have your blue alternates. You have your road grays. I would like to see the Cubs add another alternate jersey because I miss blue jerseys at home with the pinstripe pants. We get it every spring. I think it's a great look. It harkens back to those mid-90s Cubs teams for me. I see Derek Lee standing there in a blue jersey, pinstripe pants, hitting home runs against the Cincinnati Reds in their in their gray in the you know the gray vest jerseys so i i have fond memories of blue jerseys at home i'd like to see the cubs wear those oh. again i'd like to see them introduce another color jersey to wear at home maybe on a, i don't know sunday home games something like that and i see the both of you shaking your head at me i feel like i'm about to get flamethrowered here well yes i think that would be fair I, there is nothing better the cubs wear ever than their home white uniform with blue pinstripes. That is the only thing they should ever be wearing at Rigby Field. Night game, day game, Sunday game. The only thing I want to see that team in at home is that home white jersey. I hated when they wore the alternate blue top. And Zambrano was a big fan of the blue top. He was, you know, anytime he he was, was a blue pitching, top guy. He was every right. time. But I, you got to wear the home whites. You got to wear the home whites. And wear them with stirrups. That's an even better look. Yeah, and I, I don't think, you know, they... They did wear those those alternates, but I feel like those came later, like uh, 2000 era. And didn't they didn't they bring them back a couple times a few years ago? I feel like Darvish wore them a couple in times. In 2019, you Darvish and the team wanted to change up the luck a little bit, wanted to change up the mojo, and they wore the blue jerseys at home with the pinstripe pants for a game or two, maybe even a full series. I don't know if it worked. I think they may have lost two out of three in that series. Um, but... Yeah, they, they did do that recently, but, you know, it hasn't been in the regular rotation for many, many years now. And it's just a, it's just a, a color image. It's just a visual that is very formative for me. And I'd like to see it again a little more often is all. Well, I, I'll, I'll say this, too, about Cubs jerseys, because uh, we've got one of the best home jerseys. And I think one of the great road jerseys, too, in the, in the gray, the simple gray with Chicago across the chest. The Cubs have also made a lot of questionable jersey decisions over the years. Uh, one of them being, I mean, those Cuba jerseys from the 90s were just bizarre. <laughs> that didn't look anything Cubs. Uh, I would say, too, I think it was 2014-2015, the Cubs instituted a new gray yes. road jersey. With a block said, with a block Chicago across no, the chest Cubs. instead of the arched. No, it's oh, a that's Cubs right. No, it did say block Cubs. Chicago. Randall cuts you know, me right. off and he's wrong. That's yeah. over two, yeah, Randall. It happens. You're about to strike out here. It said Cubs across the chest. Like, I can visualize Kyle Schwarber wearing that gray uniform. That was an awful Jun- thing. Also Jun- about... 10 years or so before that, the mid-2000s, for a couple of years, and they said, oh, yeah, we're just going to take the names off the back of the jerseys at home. So the Cubs have made lots of bad decisions over the years with some of these jerseys. Keep it simple. Wear the white at home, wear the gray on the road, and I'm going to be happy. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that was 2005 and 2006 where they went nameless at home. The biggest problem with those jerseys is that the Cubs did not do what the Giants do and make the former Giants nameless home jerseys. Uh, they didn't make the numbers big enough. They kept the numbers the same size, and it was just awkward looking. So you are correct, uh, envisioning Jeremy Burnitz wearing a nameless number three jersey at uh, Wrigley Field in the pinstripes. It was an odd look. I wasn't a big fan of that. I like names on the backs of jerseys. Yeah, I, I picture Greg Maddox. Um, no, but you're right. I, I do remember. I, to me, I always picture Jason Hamill with those Cubs uh, jerseys that said Cubs and they had the little stripe uh, piping around. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was not a fan of those. I remember one game, I think Junior Lake yes. came out in the wrong jersey and it's crazy. But 
Uh, I was I think I was at that U Darvish game by the way where they he pitched in the blue uh, in 2019. But for me, like I don't like, and here's where I'm going to go, and you guys are probably going to attack me. Uh, I look I, I'm not to a it. fan, <laughs> not a fan of the 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 blue tops necessarily. Although I don't mind them on the road, I, I don't like them at home. I miss the red brim road hats. Nope. I miss the nope. red brim I'm home good. hats. No, nope. I love nope. the red. I like the nope. idea of the Cubs having two different hats. Uh, you get a hat on on the road, a hat at home. I picture Kerry Wood in them. I picture Mark Pryor in them. I, I miss the red brim home Rome hat, uh, road hats, and that for me is disappointment. I I like I like the blue brim hats. They're fine for the home and the red brim hats on the road. I, I'm I yeah. go with the red brims. You know, these, these jerseys that Ronan hated, the block Cubs road jersey, Chris Bryant hit his first MLB home run on that jersey, a game that we all three of us attended uh, up there in Milwaukee, a game that the Cubs uh, lost so badly that David Ross had to pitch. So the less said about that, the better. Jeremy, I never liked the red brim hats. I thought it was too many colors fighting for the eye. If you're wearing the, the blue tops, you've got a blue crown, a red brim, and then a blue jersey. And if you're wearing it with the, the road grays, it's just too much too much fighting for the eye. I never really was a big fan of the red brim. I know you're a fan. I know Marcus Stroman is a fan. He's worn that hat while warming up a few times. Uh, they just never did anything for me. I don't miss those at all. No, I, it's too busy. I prefer just the blue on it. I'm nostalgic too. Like I understand what you're saying, Jeremy, and I can absolutely picture Kerry Wood wearing that hat and dominating on the mound in places like Atlanta, but I prefer just the simple blue to it. I I, I like it to be clean and clear and neat i don't like all the roster changes and maybe this is borderline ocd of me a little bit to say this too but one thing historically when you watch highlights from previous cubs teams from like prior to 2005 or so when teams really went all in on these alternate jerseys within five seconds of seeing a clip you could instantly identify roughly what year it was or at least the decade that those games were played in now they wear all these like throwback jerseys all the time that you see a random game and it's like what year is this that we're watching this game? And like, you got Rizzo wearing jerseys from the 1930s and things like that. So I, I don't love that about it. And I really think there was a swing in the miss with the city connect Jersey that the Cubs had. I, I don't think that that was the best outcome that they could have come up with. So it's disappointing when we see a lot of that at Wrigley field. Incredibly disappointing. I will say during photo day this year for the Cubs, it did look like there was a player wearing the Navy blue city connect Wrigleyville Jersey a mistake that that was with pinstriped pants. And that improved the Jersey immensely. I don't like the monocolor look uh, in baseball jerseys. It just doesn't look good to me. And so to that end, a lot of the world baseball classic jerseys, uh, I don't love them necessarily, but wearing that Jersey with pinstripe pants at home, I think would improve it immensely as a uniform. Cause I like, again, I like a dark Jersey with the pinstripe pants. I think that's a good look for me. I don't know if that's something they're actually going to do in games this year, but if they did, I think that would improve the look immensely for me. I'm going to put you both on the spot here. All right. One question on both ends of the spectrum here. You get one team, Jeremy, in your opinion, who has the best City Connect jerseys, Major League Baseball. About half the teams have City Connect jerseys right now. Yeah, so to be put on the spot, just thinking about the City Connect jerseys, uh, I okay, here's they don't match their real jerseys at all, and they look, but I think they would be cool if they were their regular jerseys. Instead of their jerseys they have now, I like Miami's. I think they're cool. I, I like the Miami's. I, they're not part of their, uh, you know, they're completely off their color scheme, right? But they, they're part of that history in Miami. I just think it's a cool kind of look. So I'm going to go with Miami. I, I like the Marlins City Connect jerseys. 
to my immense disdain and distraughtness here, I am going to say the Arizona Diamondbacks. They have the the wow. Serpentes jerseys, which I think are a clean look. You've got this. You've got the sand colored jerseys. You've got just the the black and red graphic across the chest. When I saw the D backs get those while the Cubs were dealing with Wrigleyville, I'm like, what the hell is this? The D backs get this nice, clean, great jersey look, and the Cubs get this navy blue Wrigleyville thing that seems like something you'd find on the discount rack at like Kohl's or whatever. I was not happy because the D backs should be the ones getting the jerseys that miss the mark, and the Cubs should be the ones getting a nice, clean home look. So I will say the D backs do have a very nice city connect jersey it really kind of represents this this region because the d-backs are a regional team they are new mexico's team they are uh, you know other other parts of the desert out there they are a regional team (laughs) and they they are a very like desert like jersey so i did appreciate them on that basis i'm very surprised to hear you say that actually one because you never compliment arizona but two the the color you said sand colored and i like that mr sanders dropping in the sand color to me it kind of looks mustard colored when i actually see those jerseys i kind of think milwaukee brewers and i don't love that it's a a yellowish top (laughs) basically it sort of looks like that brewers color um i'm gonna say something that randall i the way you started to answer that i'm like no way he's gonna do it i think the best city connect jerseys are in the city of chicago on the south side those white Sox jerseys with their branding it is awesome it's a great great looking jersey and it bothers me because they did it better than the Cubs did. So I think the White Sox have the best City Connect jersey. And if you're listening to this, do a search online. Take a look for yourself. You can see them all. That White Sox one is sharp. It says south side across the chest. Yeah, I thought that's where we were going to go with that. Uh, I was going to say. But uh, I I, I actually thought you might go with Colorado with the mountains on it. I thought those were pretty cool too. Colorado would probably be number two for me. It's a great jersey, and it's green. I like that. The Cubs City Connect jerseys, I think, should have been green. Wrigley Field green, I think, would have been a better color use for them. But the Rockies one, it says Colorado across the chest. You get the mountains. It sort of looks like the Flatirons a little bit up in Boulder, although I don't think that's exactly what they were pulling for. Just a nice look, and it's cool to see a team that primarily wears purple sporting that dark green that we see up in the mountains. The only thing I don't love about Colorado City Connect jerseys is that the jerseys are white-shouldered, white-sleeved, the green starts about chest high, goes all the way down. Then they wear green pants with it. It's just really weird to me to see a jersey that has a different color, that has a light color shoulder yoke, but a darker torso and pants. But that's just me. Um, otherwise, it is a really nice jersey. And again, it is a really nice kind of city regional thing. Uh, so the City Connect, Nike is going to keep rolling them out. Uh, and being added to the list in 2023, among other teams, will be the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh boy. And I can't wait to see them walk out there in just a burlap sack with a mayonnaise jar on the chest and try and sell that as a City Connect jersey. Let's go to the other side of it. Who's got the worst City Connect jersey? Well, the Cubs are up there, to be honest. Like, they're up they're there. Cubs, the Cubs, it's the not Cubs the worst, are up though. there. That's not the worst. I will. I would maybe give it to Houston. I would. Kansas City's is just aggressively boring. Uh, they got so the I, fountain I thing going those. on. Yeah, yeah like they, they kind of got the fountain thing going on. But uh, Houston's, it's just too busy. There's too much going on. The Dodgers City Connect, it's just their normal just like spring training tops. But they say Los Dodgers. And the hats are just awful because the hats also say Los Dodgers. Like they cram that whole word mark onto the front of a hat. Um, Yeah. I'm going to go Houston. I'm going to go a little bit Kansas city and I'm going to go LA Dodgers on that. 
So he's taking a whole bunch of teams. He's taking the I am, yes. Half the, I'm half the teams. I know. Half the teams I've done. I, one team I do want to give a little shout out to that I thought was kind of cool before uh, is the Angels. I actually kind of like the Angels, the whole surf vibe and everything. Um, but I don't, yeah, the I worst, like those. The worst, I, I'm going to go, I think, and I know people, some people like them a lot. But to me, just because they're just so off of what they traditionally are, the Boston Red Sox, like, I, maybe if it fit like their team kind of identity a little bit more, like I, I, I would get it. But like the Red Sox have such like an iconic classic look, you know, they're the Red Sox that this whole blue and yellow and, and I get it. I know it's the Boston marathon and the subway and everything, but I, I just, I, they look like, see, I'm, as a college baseball fan, they look like the UCLA Bruins completely like their hats are basically like a ripoff of the Bruins and I just think I don't like the whole yellow light powder blue look for the Red Sox I think they're terrible I also think the Giants are kind of lame but the Red Sox for me are the number one uh worst I just hate the fact that because they're such an iconic looking team that they have these awful jerseys that they wear if they were the Marlins I wouldn't care but they're not they're the Boston Red Sox Jeremy, you're not wrong. They're they're not terrible jerseys, and they do have city iconography, but they're not great Red Sox jerseys. Uh, also uh, rumored and more or less confirmed joining the uh, City Connect Parade in 2023 will be the Mariners and will be the Braves. And from what we little we know, the Mariners will probably be hearkening back to uh, uh, their original days. It'll probably be some navy blue and some yellow. The Braves, I don't know that we know a whole lot, but uh, St. Louis Atlanta and Seattle will be joining the parade sooner versus later. There are reports, rumors, whatever you want to call it. Ronan, I lo- I know you love rumors. Uh, oh, so yeah. there are rumors that every team will have a City Connect jersey within the next two seasons. Makes and, sense. You know, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm not 100% sure how you do that with a team like the Yankees. Um, I mean, they did with the Red Sox. <laughs> Well, they did. They did do it with the Red Sox. That's true. And so I, I guess I'm more curious how that will be received. What was it George Steinbrenner said when they did that wonderful uh, turn ahead the clock promotion? He said, you know, what will Yankees jerseys look like in 100 years? We're already wearing them. It's just an organization that takes itself so self-seriously that I'm I'm curious what they will permit Nike to do as far as garishness and outlandishness with that, like a Yankee City Connect jersey. I feel like they have they worn like blue tops every like spring training every like oh yeah they've ones? they've worn they've yeah. worn navy blue spring training tops in the past but yeah. you know that's spring training I think the expectations are different I'm just curious I, how I mean during play. regular season games I don't believe so I do not believe they have to any appreciable degree worn anything other than their home pinstripes and road grays for the Yankees uh, but the one thing just to go back on the Red Sox iconic there's no red in that jersey. I think that's what pisses me off the most. Yellow socks. Yeah, Yeah. the yellow socks. Watch out for your yellow socks. It means you've stepped in something. Jeremy, you said you were not impressed with the Giants jersey. I'm with you on Mm -hmm. that, too. And I think why I'm especially disappointed is that other than that, the Giants have some of the best branding and jerseys in all of Major League Baseball. It's classic, iconic. The color scheme is great. I think they missed the mark with their City Connect jersey. Uh, The team, though, that I am going to go with is the Washington Nationals. Across the chest, it says WSH. I don't love that at all. 
the nice thing that the Nationals have tried to do here, I know they're trying to pay tribute to the cherry blossoms. They worked that into the W logo on the hat. There are some nice details in the City Connect jersey. It doesn't always translate well to watching it on TV. And I hate the WSH. I don't like when teams do this thing where they take out vowels and other letters of the team name. Um, you know, even the media, co- well, I won't get the DNVR, CHGO. I'm always like, ah, oh, you know, where's the other vowels here? We got other letters that we got to get to. So I don't like the WSH there across the chest and milwaukee did the mke too on the on yeah. the the hat yeah, you know you the want, airport code. you want to talk about a jersey that looks like a discount rack mistake those brew crew jerseys that looks like something you would have gotten from marshall's did does marshall still exist like are there still marshall stores out there because if they if they if they do it still exist that's where you would find those brewer city connect jerseys it does absolutely nothing for me even on a brewer's level it does absolutely nothing for me i just don't love the trend of dropping a bunch of letters and keeping the other ones. And you might say, well, what about KC or C for Chicago? Isn't that the same thing? I don't think that's the same thing as putting WSH across your chest when you're the Washington Nationals. Well, we have more Jersey talk to get to next week. Something else I want to talk about next week as well is how we are reacting a couple weeks in here to some of the rule changes across Major League Baseball. We got into it a little bit last week. The sample size will grow when we record next week. But things like the pitch clock, the impact it's having on the game, the larger bases, limiting of the shift. Now that we're getting a little bit more of it, let's revisit our thoughts on that and see how we feel as we get closer to opening day. Uh, One other thing, too, we will do fan graph projections for the bullpen, some of the key guys that we think will be pitching in relief for the Cubs this upcoming season. Uh, But that's it. Late night podcast here, Friday night show. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Randall is in his PJs. He's ready to shut things down for the night here, so we'll let him tuck her off to bed here. Uh, That's it for 102 of Behind the Yellow Line. We'll see you next week.